0: Welcome to the Healing Circle Podcast, where we talk about everything mental health, faith, and relationships. Though this show is hosted by a licensed therapist, that's me, Kobe, I am not your therapist. These amazing conversations are meant to provide psychoeducation and start some good conversation, but they're not meant to be a substitute for real therapy services. We're excited to learn, grow, and talk with you guys. So let's jump into today's episode. Hey everyone, it's Kobe and
1: Kyle, your favorite.
0: And welcome back to the Healing Circle podcast. You guys, we had such an amazing conversation about enmeshment, how to identify it, how to see how it's affected people in your life. And honestly, we talked about our own experience with enmeshment, which was pretty vulnerable. I have a little bit of what Brene Brown calls a vulnerability hangover, but I think it was good to share. How do you feel about it?
1: I, um... I'm glad that we shared it because I think it's such a, it's the sort of thing that can really derail like meaningful relationships. Yeah. And it's not really Ooh. talked about. It's not. It's just.
0: There's no safe way to talk about it. I thought you were it.
1: making the word up. Enmeshment. Yeah. And then I couldn't smell, spell it right because it's enmeshment. And I was just putting the E. And I was An like, oh, M- this ain't even a real word.
0: Whatever, Kyle. And, you know, you make. A good point. There's no way to safely talk about enmeshment because it includes so many people. Yeah. There's just no safe way to do it. You know, that's the nature of it. And that's what makes it so insidious for the person who is partnered with someone who is enmeshed, is there's no way for them to tell their truth or to share the reality of what they're experiencing or what they're suffering through without exposing people.
1: Yeah. And similar to um some of what we'll talk about today in reparenting, at some point, even in the conversation, we just had to kind of make the decision, like, you know what, we we're gonna honor my family and my culture and the way that I was brought up, and 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 speak about this in a way that's that's real, um, and that might be upsetting for somebody, um, or and that might be a hard conversation. But it needs to be had. And in some way, you just have to choose yeah. you have to choose. You have to make a choice. And yeah. just Ooh. like when we recorded the last one, I just had to choose allowing Kobe to be able to speak about something in the fullness of what it is. Not like do what happens so often in a meshed um environments where everyone has to go along to get along to pretend that something doesn't bother them or it's not hard. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. not easy. And that'll be part of what reparenting we talked about today. It's not easy. I wish it got easier. It, it doesn't. It doesn't.
0: <laughs> it doesn't. We just want to be real with y'all. It does not get easier, but it does get better. It does get better. So today we are going to jump right into where we ended off last time before we get right into reparenting investment, and, and if you have not listened to part one, you definitely should go back and listen to that because that's going to inform a lot about what we talk about today. Um, a lot of what we talk about today. And I want to start off by talking about what I ended talking about in our last episode, which is I would love for you to share a little bit about how you became aware that you were enmeshed and what motivated you to do something about it. Because again, we talked about people who are enmeshed often don't realize it. Mm. They're not like, I am enmeshed with my family. This is great. Do do do. Right. They're usually just like, no, this is this is normal. Enmeshment is their baseline. It is their normal. Um, it is the standard of their life. And they don't realize it's different until they Begin to have relationships with other people, interact with other people, you know, get married, have kids. They don't see it until their loyalties are demanded of elsewhere. And so I I would love for you to share for the men or women um, or people who are experiencing enmeshment or think that they might be experiencing it, how you identified it and how you decided to make the change of like, okay, I got to do something about this.
1: Yeah. Part of the reason that it's important to have a conversation like this about enmeshment is because I don't, maybe there's someone out there that can, I don't know that it's something that can be internally generated from the enmeshed person. I don't know that reconciliation or reparenting enmeshment is something that can just happen from that person saying, waking up one day and saying, you know what, this isn't right. Mm. It's just not—at it, least for me—it wasn't that. It, and
0: that's powerful, even with like the resentment or the guilt, yeah. right? We talked about this being a love contract written in guilt, signed in guilt. Mm-hmm. Even with the guilt and the shame and the anger and the frustration, it's still not something that you are personally going to let yourself be released of.
1: No, I, I came—I came to awareness in it in stages. God was really gracious um, towards me, just to be—to be honest. Um, if you don't have a conversation like this or listen to a podcast like this or someone brings it up and you just have to start really questioning it, I don't know how it comes up, but for me yeah. um, God was really gracious. He allowed a tension um that was new to like exist in my relationship with my family, specifically with me and my dad um in areas that didn't seem like it was actually a meshment at first I mean we were working together, we were in ministry together and we we started experiencing attention that we just never had, me and my dad are always mm-hmm. been on the same page, yeah, and Kobe you remember kind of what this was like very slowly over eighteen months we we started having a difference of opinion about what our relationship needed to be, yeah, and um it started there, it started in a you know what, like, I love you, dad. I remember literally having the conversation. Dad, I love you too much to let this come between us. Mm. So, like, even though I know it doesn't make sense to, to some other people, I'm going to step away from this opportunity to, to, to kind of partner with you yeah. so that I can step into a person, uh, like, and continue to grow in a personal relationship with you. That was, mm. like, kind of the beginning of seeing, like, Okay, there's something weird here. This And the response to that. The response was was tough.
0: I think that the response to you stepping away, not just from that relationship, but also holistically in the family system, Mm -hmm. I think that was when, obviously we didn't have the language we have now, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that was when there was a clear sense of, oh, Kyle choosing what's best for him is disloyal to us. That was when I think that was made like plain to you, I'm like remembering that,
1: yeah, and it actually funnily enough, I was struggling with um some discrimination at work, and it was really really, really toxic stuff, yeah, and I right. remember um telling my dad about what was going on and his advice in so many different ways was to like pull away and to protect myself and to do what was right for me and forget what I've the burdens that I felt like I had to do for these people and I didn't owe them all that. And, and it was all this stuff. And then there were similar situations happening um, in another arena that involved my family system. And I felt the same way and the advice was different, mm. but the feelings I was like, I was feeling a similar burden in both places and, and the, the situation was, was similar to the situations were very similar. And the advice was 180. And that was like the first time I was like, wait, hold on. Something is off here. Yeah. And that, and that built that tension. And then God was, God was faithful. I got sick. Um, and and I'll, I'll skip to the end. I think one of the things that can reveal amishment is um, when the resources in your, your family and your procreated family get, start to thin out, like when you just lose capacity. You're forced to acknowledge um, the ways that, like this enmeshment, is fraying your um, your relationship with your spouse or your partner.
0: Mm, you mean your family of origin?
1: Yes. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. 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 Um, so I got sick. I got really, really, really sick, yeah, and all of a sudden, I no longer um, had the capacity to be all things. To all people. To be the hero of the family. And I was forced to prioritize in a way that I'd never had to prioritize before. Yeah. And so um, when it came to prioritizing before, I always felt like I could give everyone an equal share. Yeah. And I lost, you know, say compromise. I used to have two pies and now I have half of a pie. (laughs) Who gets to eat? Yeah. And it and it cleared up this idea that Kobe was expressing before her feeling like she wasn't getting her due from me. Mm. And when I had less to give, it was easier for me to see how little comparatively she was getting because I didn't have, you know, I used to be able to hide it at least to myself saying, mm. well, I'm giving you the same thing I'm giving everyone else. Yeah. And all of a sudden I had to give everyone else less. And in some ways they were more upset than my wife was that yeah. they were getting less from me, even though I was sick. Yeah. It wasn't like I got tired. Yeah, I was sick. And so I Which think. Which would have
0: been just as valid, but continue. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but even the response to that, as if like, I felt like it was letting people down. And, and Kobe wasn't the one who was making me feel that way, even though she had every right to be number one in line saying, like, hey, I need all of you. And mm-hmm. I wasn't giving her enough. And so I think between Kobe's repeated insistence, like, okay, something is wrong. Yeah. Some of that was really wonderful and healthy and holy and righteous, and some of that wasn't.
0: Some of it was what we call rage.
1: <laughs> so what was that? <laughs> um, and then this tension being built as I'm forced to reconcile. Like, okay, is my wife crazy?
0: A little, no. Um, I'm sorry.
1: And it was like, well, obviously not, like because anyone yeah. who knows me knows I really respect my wife, and I specifically respect her intelligence and her and her discernment. Mm. And so it was just like, man, how could a woman that di- with, with such, <laughs> such good, good discernment, discernment be yeah. missing it so far on this? Um, <laughs> and between Woo. that and the resources, my my resources becoming scarce, I I too slowly, but. Um, I slowly came to the realization that there was something that did not fit, mm. and as an analyst, for me, like okay, there's something wrong. the the mm. the outputs are not matching the inputs. Yeah, I'm missing a piece of the equation. Mm-hmm. And as the Lord and um, therapy uh, were really helpful, and to start digging into what am I missing? Mm. This um this burden, this sense of guilt, this contract, this un unwritten unspoken but very much felt and lived out contract uh these are things you must do even though i can't give any i can't give anyone an answer why i must do it yeah yeah it's just like oh well even to
0: the detriment of your own health
1: okay like i know i'm an hour away but i need to go and unlock the church to do this thing well yeah. like what, well why well because i was asked to well people ask you to do especially because I'm the person people ask me to do things all the time and I'm like nah I'm good
0: yeah yeah you love to say no
1: and so Kobe was like you say no to 80 things a day why can't you say no to this I just can't why not I I just can't yeah (laughs) and what's
0: funny as as you would like struggle to defend not being able to say no, it was almost like I physically saw you, like, shrink shrink into, like, a little boy. Yeah. It was like, here is, like, this grown man that I love and I'm attracted to and I trust and I am building a life with. Say that attracted to
1: again. I like I'm attracted that. Attracted to hey. whatever. <laughs> some, some, that made me feel feel a certain type of way. <laughs> Kyle, Hallelujah.
0: Keep it. G, please. Um, And as you would like try to, to validate and explain why you could not say no to things that were really simple. It just like, you just literally shrunk into like a little child. And here I am, you know,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: a therapist trying not to therapize him (laughs) trying. I'm like, good Jesus Lord, you know, like I'm over (laughs) here just trying to like breathe it out and, and trust that my husband's not my client. And, and it was, it was a hard, hard season, but I feel like, the the breaking point for you was when you we really and i think that was what was beautiful as you let me in on this decision we decided like we have to live a life that looks like us and does not look like the expectations of anyone else not yeah. even my parents you know, because I mean, it, nobody's perfect. No, family. my, in this, my family's not perfect either. Mm-hmm. Right. No family is perfect. Um, and so what we're talking about today and reparenting is what it looks like to reparent. And when you are enmeshed, reparenting looks like emancipation. It looks like freeing yourself and emancipation is separation separation Mm -hmm. from that family of origin. So why do we say emancipation? When we say emancipation, it's because we're looking at what a healthy family structure is relatively, right? Healthy is relative. A healthy family structure relatively is one that has moderate closeness and moderate separation. Why? Because they need to be free enough to come get the love and affirmation and intimacy and community that they need, but also free enough to go live a life that reflects who they are.
1: Yeah,
0: right. We don't want a super close or a super distant family. The opposite of a <laughs> right is, is a super estranged family, and that's yep. not healthy either. right.
1: Yep. It's like when you you're in the mall and you see that random family that has their kid on a leash <laughs> and and it's like okay. Now anyone who has kids
0: I thought about it. Can,
1: can, <laughs>
0: really can have
1: empathize with the idea of like if only there were a leash. Yeah. And yet there's something where we sort of recognize okay like you want them close, but that can't be the way, that can't be the mechanism.
0: It can be the only way that they
1: are close. Yeah. It, it can't be that they're chained to you. It has to be yeah. that they can walk next to you and they have a sense of freedom and autonomy. And yet they're close because they want to be close.
0: Yeah. Because when you let go of that leash, they'll run. They will, <laughs> they will run. Off. They will run. All right. Let's talk a little bit about some of the steps to emancipating. The first step to emancipating is setting boundaries. And I want to...
1: Kobe's favorite word. Boundaries. going to get it tattooed on her forehead, I'm sure.
0: Boundaries. Yeah. I love to kind of redefine what boundaries mean. Oftentimes people think of boundaries as a line in the sand. Like Mm. this is a line and this is the boundary. This is the rule and this is the boundary. To me, that's not what boundaries are. Boundaries are not where you should not cross. Boundaries are what I will do if you do cross. Right? Because yeah. that implies that we have control over whether someone's going to honor that line we've set or not. Yeah. We don't have control over that. We do have control over how we respond to the line that we set.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so that's boundaries
0: good. are not Hey, this is a line and don't come over here. Don't come over here. And then what happens when they come over here? That's the issue with many (laughs) of our boundaries. We don't prepare with with what we're going to do after someone crosses a boundary, Mm -hmm. crosses a line, crosses a standard that we've set in our lives. So boundaries are not, here's what you're not going to do. Boundaries are, if you do this, then I will Mm -hmm. blink. That's what a clear boundary is. Yeah. Yeah. And so, as you are beginning the process of emancipating, it's going to hurt. It's going to really suck. That's what we're going to talk about next. But first, we have to start looking at, and this has to include your partner, especially because a lot of this, if you are partnered, um, a lot of this has left them out in the dark. So, including your partner means looking at where are the places that we want to clarify and differentiate to separate from your family, and what will we do? if they try to imply that we should honor a contract that we're no longer honoring.
1: Yeah. And it's going to, you know, boundaries are really important. Um, but as Kobe is saying, what's most important is the sense of like integrity to your own ideals that you have to have. Mm. Right. Because at some point it will get crossed.
0: Oh, Absolutely
1: right and, it's natural and so you have to stick to your guns which yeah. is why you got to make sure that your the boundary you want to set is actually something you're willing to do right like don't yeah. say hey like if you if you don't do what i say i'll kill you it's like well are you really going to kill me no you know <laughs> like that's a little extreme um but it it does have to have a sense of like a self-worth of self-esteem of yeah. like you know what i'm not doing this because i I dislike you. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this because I love me mm-hmm. and I love me too much mm. to let you trample over me. Yeah. Right. Like it's boundaries are about love. Yeah. They're not about Hate. discipline. Yep. They're not about shaming someone. They're yep. not about revenge. Yep. They're about love.
0: Yeah. And that's a word for parents too. Right. Yeah. So next, when we talk about emancipation, we are also talking about expecting feelings of grief and guilt. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about the guilt and then Kyle's going to go through the process of grief because I think that he has a lot of personal insight to pour into that. And I'll sprinkle little thoughts in there here and there. But when we talk about the guilt, we have to be okay with the guilt being there, especially for the, the party that it wasn't the emancipation, rather, wasn't the enmeshed family and now is trying to emancipate themselves they have to feel a sense of guilt. Not have to, they will feel a sense of guilt and they have to be okay with that sense of guilt being there. Because again, enmeshment is your baseline. Anytime we stray away from our baseline, that is when we're going to feel that sense of guilt. That's when we're going to feel that sense of shame, fear, anxiety. And in this case, guilt is not a sign that you've done something wrong. Guilt is a sign that you've done something different. Guilt is a sign you've done something unfamiliar. Yeah. Yeah. Guilt is a sign that you've done something that may disappoint someone else, but it does not mean it's not worthy of being done, right? And so when we decide to try to assuage our guilt by meeting other people's needs, by negotiating, which is like the core of enmeshment anyways, when we try to do all of that, what happens is we create a sense of regulation in ourselves, which most of the times is good, But when we're regulated, we're not motivated to change. Discomfort motivates us to change. Dissatisfaction motivates us to change. And sometimes not to say, oh, you need to feel guilty and you should hold on to these feelings. But sometimes allowing the truth of what you feel, and sometimes that truth is guilt, allowing the truth of what you feel to rise to the top. Mm -hmm. and let it be present without you trying to smush it down is good for us because it reminds us that something has to change.
1: Yeah. And on the grief piece, honestly, you, you end up with like the four stages of grief, almost as if someone has, has died. It's, it's, it's not quite that, but in many ways it is the death of something. It's the death of a normal. It's Mm -hmm. the death of, a a huge piece of your identity if you're me
0: yeah i was just about to say that it is a death of a piece of yourself yeah because the Amesh family does not it's permeable boundaries right that was the definition Mm -hmm. permeable boundaries it is about saying i am saying goodbye to a part of myself and the system has told me who i am or this person has told me who I am my entire life and I'm saying goodbye to that safety. Goodbye yeah. to that sense of priority in someone's life. Goodbye to that attention. Goodbye to that affection. And they are, those are things to grieve, but we have to believe that there's a different and more worthy way of receiving them.
1: Yeah. I, I know at first I, I felt a lot of like shock and numbness. Um, and and that's actually um, one of the frameworks for for grief, um, shock and numbness, being the first stage. Yearning and searching being the second, disorganization and despair being mm-hmm. the third, and then you finally come around that corner to reorganization and recovery. Yeah. Um. But that that first one, the shock and numbness, mm-hmm. um, it, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I was just sort of in a daze because I didn't really know. Um. If you've ever seen Talladega Nights. Lord, which is eh? one of the greatest movies of all time. If you haven't seen it, r- run, do not walk, run to go and see it. But there's a part where Will Ferrell is doing an interview and his, <laughs> hands, keep, his hands keep rising up into the camera frame because he doesn't know what to do with his hands. <laughs> and so <laughs> he just, he just keeps raising his hands into the frame and they're like, dude, you can put those down. And he's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Um, and a less funny way. I felt like the first few months after we'd made an internal decision to step back, mind you, it wasn't like we we sat my family down and took out a whiteboard and said, these are the things we're not doing, and this is what you're not going to do, and this isn't that. I don't even know that they recognized it um, when it happened until they, they started missing me. Mm. Um, but we made an internal decision to do some things differently, and for a while I was just kind of I don't know what to do. Um it's it's almost like if you've ever met people that had like smoking habits, they talk about the hardest part about quitting smoking not just being the nicotine withdrawal, but like how it affects their routine. How okay, well every morning this is what I did and and I've never had a glass of coffee, a cup of coffee without following it up with a cigarette or without having one before. And then, you know, it's like it's baked into their daily schedule. And so mm-hmm. part of what is hard mm-hmm. to change is not just like, oh, I missed this feeling, but also I have to reorient the way my day looks. Yeah. And for me, like I had to reorient huge way huge parts of how I processed information. Yeah. Because it was so much of my processing was, well, what would they think? Mm-hmm. And I had to start training myself to actively fight against, what would my dad do in this yeah. situation? Yeah. What would this person do? What would this person think about my response to this situation? Because I'm going to have to go tell them what I did, and I'm going to want them to approve of what I said and didn't said and didn't say. Mm-hmm. Um. Until so, so much of the first <laughs> portion of it for me was just like. My hands are raising up into the frame. Like, I no, don't know no. what to do with mm. my hands. I don't know how to just exist with mine being the only voice in my head that I'm, like, really listening to.
0: Mm. And as you're, like, talking about this, I'm realizing that I was going through those same, those same um, stages of grief. And the partner of someone who's a mess is going to go through those same stages of grief in the same way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's a shock and numbness because it's like, oh, we're finally free. We're finally, like, able to, like, pour into this family that we want to, like, there's almost this immediate expectation that as soon as we emancipate, we can finally do all the things we dreamed of. And there's a lot of unlearning. Yeah, And so I think the shock and numbness for me came from, oh, he's no longer yoked to this system the way he was. But it's almost like you got out of the system, but the system didn't get out of you. Yeah. You know, and it was like this shock of like, oh my God, I've been hoping for this. I've been praying for this. Here it is. And it's nothing like I hoped it would be because here we are still talking about questioning, you know, Mm -hmm. interacting with in the absence of their physical presence, these people. Right. And so there's like this shock and then also this numbness of like, will this ever change? Like, I'm not going to hope anymore. I'm not going to hope that that things will change because- things changed but it felt like nothing changed if that makes sense
1: I'm sure there's some people who can relate mm-hmm. um yeah i i'd say and the second stage of grief is yearning and searching and this phase i think was probably the longest phase for me Kobe could 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 speak more into it cuz she she got to see it with um from an unbiased perspective but this is where, like, you, you go through all these different sorts of emotions, despair, confusion, sorrow, and and the bereaved person, the person who's in mourning, who's grieving, they start to yearn for what they had. And, mm. and then they start searching for meaning, you know, mm-hmm. out of, like, this loss. And, <laughs> and for me, like, it was so small. It's funny how, in retrospect, like, my family, again, like, we didn't have a conversation with them. Sometimes you need to. We had a few conversations, but it wasn't, hey, we're a enmeshed. We are emancipating ourselves. This is what that looks like. It wasn't that. I think we Um, just
0: started being more clear about boundaries. And in
1: places where we usually said yes, we said, actually, we're going to pass on that. Mm -hmm. And because so much of the contract was unspoken, when we shifted, not much needed to be spoken. Yeah. Right? Because it wasn't like someone was banging on the door saying, where are you? There was someone in my heart saying bang on, banging on the door, saying, You have to go. Yeah. Like, why aren't you doing this? Or what are they gonna think? Or, yeah. you know, you love them too much to so do do this to them, or whatever. Yeah. And so the yearning and searching was hard for me because for so much of my life, I really didn't make a decision without checking with like specifically my dad. Yeah. And in fairness to him, he's super wise. He's got a a ton of wisdom. People are asking his advice all day long, and I got it for free. And he's part of the reason that I was so successful at such a young age. Almost every single day, I was calling him, getting feedback on what to do next on how to orient around the situation. So I can't discount. like I I was really successful because I got to leverage the wisdom of a 60-year-old who had gone through a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But part of that is what made me feel safe. It made me feel like I even belonged at the position I'd gotten myself to, and so it was this weird thing where I was emancipating myself at a time in my career where I felt like I needed most him support more than ever. Yeah, and yet it was like, okay, well, I can't do. I can't call my my dad every single time something happens. Like at some point, I have to be able to look into my own mind and come up with a solution, and more importantly. I have to be able to go to my wife and ask her opinion yeah. and take that and run with it. Yeah. Um, and she was getting like the fifth call, you know, I'd get, he... they were
0: calling me like Kyle told you about, and I'm like, I have no clue what you're talking about. And it's like, Oh, aren't you so excited you got the promotion? And I'm like, I don't know what promotion, you know? And it, like, that was, that was normal. Yeah. That was normal.
1: It was, it was. And I would, you know, and I thought it was normal. I didn't see anything. I'm like, well, you know, you found out. You Not know, like I waited three weeks. <laughs> um, I did a bunch of dumb things, guys. Don't do the things I did. Um, but that yearning and searching was yeah. so that was hard for me. I found myself like looking for books and looking for different resources and trying to find other like mentors that could fill that gap and and it was it was it was a lot of craziness going on
0: and so you know what's really funny is it um the yearning and searching that stage was when you were really into your books Mm -hmm. so this is a common thing And I know this is also one of these niche things that a lot of people don't realize that other people do as well. But there are some people who are deeply invested in books, not because they're avid readers, not because they appreciate the art, rather not only because of those things, Mm -hmm. but also because books take them out of reality. Yeah. And books are an escape for them. Mm -hmm. And for many people, books are literally a coping mechanism. There are people who read books and cannot hear audibly. When they're reading a book, and mm-hmm. they're reading and someone's like, hey, Kyle, 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 they literally cannot hear you because they are so mentally and emotionally immersed in the reality of the book. And it's often to escape the present reality that they're living. Yeah. Right. And so Kyle was reading, I mean.
1: Five, six, seven books a
0: week. A week. A week. Yeah. It was like most people had smoke breaks. Kyle had a read break. He would be, I remember being like, Kyle, it's a red light. Why are you reading a book right now? You have 60 seconds. He's like, I know I can read a page in 60 seconds. And it's like, what? And it became this place where it almost was like he was trying to replace anything with, with his parents and with, in that family system. Mm.
1: Yeah. Not, not fun. Um, Mm -hmm. And yet it's like, it may not be the longest part of the grief process, but it's, everyone's going to experience that peace um, because it really is, it is the death of, of, of a way of being.
0: Yeah. A way of Um, existing. And, and I think for the partner, the yearning and searching comes from like, you're looking for all these things. Like, am I not enough? Like, like this mental space of thinking once once this system is out of the way he'll finally choose me
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then that like that discovering he's not choosing me like he has all the opportunity all the all the chance and he's looking for anything but me mm-hmm. and then it begins to feel like is there something wrong with me right and and then it turns into a yearning and searching for you and and i'll be completely honest me and Kyle were talking earlier about how, for me, the healing circle was born out of many things. It was born out of job opportunities that fell through. It was born out of me wanting to support other women as they, um, you know, went through hard pregnancy and birth situations like myself, but it also, me actually pouring in and investing in the business and filing for an LLC and all that stuff, that came out of my own yearning and searching. Yeah it was it was i feel alone and i love my husband but and i know he loves me i just i'm just not quite sure that he has the capacity to be okay with just me mm. um because how can i replace a whole system of people and so for me it was you have to feel loved and accepted and and validated somewhere and so i poured my heart and soul into my work right i think people often admire my work ethic mm-hmm. but if i'm being honest and real my work ethic is born out of sadness and loneliness often mm-hmm. right and i'm learning how to if you follow me on instagram you'll see that i've slowed down a lot i don't post as much i don't get on and share and teach as much um and that comes from a place of honoring the reality that honoring the reality that you know i um I want to live a life that's present and I want to do things because I don't want to write or share or teach out of a contract of guilt to anything, right? And so I had to slow down.
1: Yeah. And proof that uh, that God can draw straight with crooked lines. Okay. <laughs> um. All right. Because it may not have started from a, a super healthy place, but God, it's it's become. God's blessed it. Yeah. Yeah. It's become something really beautiful.
0: Mm. So I want you to jump into the disorganization and despair.
1: Mm, uh, I feel like yeah. that's where you start to go with therapy. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I found myself, I found myself being unfair to Kobe. Because I would like something would happen and like my hands are rising into the frame. I'm like, well, what do I do? What do I do? Literally itching, like and by literally itching, I mean my my body itching. Yeah. For like a year and a half, two years.
0: Full body itching, full body hives are a symptom of PTSD. For those of you who do not know for people who've experienced traumatic situations. And for him, separating from his family was traumatic.
1: Yeah. And it was on, uh, there was a bunch of stuff going on. Oh yeah. So there it, was like, a lot of stuff going on. At it time. was like, dang bro, what a horrible time for, <laughs> for this to happen. Um, <laughs>
0: There's no good time. I know like we're going through the, the grief system right now, but let's just throw that in there. There's no good time to emancipate.
1: Yeah. You'll never be ready. Just kind of, kind of do it. So I'm literally itching, wanting to call, um, either my family or a proxy for my family to get their blessing to live my life in the way that I felt like I needed to live it going to Kobe being Mm. so used to only one voice or one way of speaking one way of interpreting a situation that she was giving me her best and very often giving me great advice and it felt like this is useless like why am I even (laughs) talking to her but she doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. And then also my dad's a weirdo. And so I was used to him. And he and, means that in love. Yeah, yeah. I mean that in, in a loving way. And we're very similar people in mm-hmm. so many ways. I was looking for an echo chamber and Kobe doesn't think like me. Nope. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I shouldn't have even asked you. Um, and so it just became this thing where I was like, you know what? That's not fair to Kobe. Like, Kobe's giving me her best. Why isn't that good enough? Like, that's, that didn't mm. make, make sense. Mind you, anyone who's talked to her, she's a phenomenal communicator, phenomenal therapist, mm. deep thinker. Thanks, babe. Incredibly intelligent. So it's not like I'm going to, like, some random person that knows nothing about nothing and trying to get advice. Like, there are people who, who literally pay to hear her talk about their issues and get her insight.
0: Yeah,
1: and I was just like, "Oh, this isn't good enough." It was like, "What? That? How does that make sense?" And so it forced me to this place where I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm desperate now. I guess I will try therapy." Because mm. I was I was pretty resistant, but mainly I was resistant because I felt like I had all I needed. Yeah, I was literally saying, "Why would I pay a therapist when I can just talk to my dad?" Like I'm paying money to talk to somebody who doesn't know. Like with who with less wisdom and all this stuff than my dad does, like that doesn't make any sense? Yeah. This is free. What about yeah. the bills? Lord. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was it was good um for me because I was forced to like find a new perspective, and more importantly, to find my own perspective, mm. right? Which is something that therapy gave me, and I could I just wasn't I didn't have the capacity to give myself.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and now where are we babe
1: reorganization and recovery
0: yes and i think reorganization, reorganization and recovery me and this mouth reorganization and recovery are not just for people who've experienced enmeshment um whether they're the person who's been enmeshed or the person partnered with someone who's enmeshed it's also for people who have experienced codependency
1: yeah
0: right like being able to say like, I'm recovering because there are a lot of internalized values that really aren't ours that we kind of absorbed from our mm-hmm. our relationships, whether it's parent child enmeshment or whether it's family enmeshment, we've just kind of absorbed and we have to question and be like, why do I believe this? Why do mm-hmm. I think this way? Why do I think it's the way things are done? Right? Yeah. Like an example. Who um, said that? Who said that?
1: I thought of her first book, guys. I think maybe the second or the fifth. One of them. Go ahead, babe.
0: You know what? I'm grateful that you believe in me. I do. And I received that. Um, yeah, asking ourselves, like, who who said that and whose voice is that, right? Because mm-hmm. I've, I've already talked about the system of, like, the superego, the ego, and the mm-hmm. id. Like, for many of us um, who are codependent and for those... Of y'all, because it ain't me, who've experienced, <laughs> wow, wow. Who've experienced uh, um enmeshment. I didn't mean that in a mean way, y'all. No, nah,
1: no, nah, she did
0: I did, really didn't. But uh, for those of, I'll say us, who've experienced enmeshment, <laughs> um, that voice in our head, what we would say is our conscience is often the person that we have an unhealthy relationship with and the mm-hmm. person that we feel Like we are forced to be obedient to, Mm -hmm. right? But when we are doing this thing of emancipating ourselves, we are ripping up that contract written in guilt and we are writing a new contract written in love and respect.
1: Yeah. And, and this reorganization and recovery phase is like, and we're in the middle of it. It's, it's been really good. It's, it's the settling into the new normal, Mm -hmm. um, and and my family has settled into the new normal, mm-hmm. it, and the way it happened, it it happened so slowly and consistently. I don't know that anyone, but I, until they listen to this podcast, they may not realize that this was even going on actively. Oh,
0: I think they definitely did. I
1: mean, within with the intentionality. of Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah, and
0: yeah. What what our they felt the result, yeah.
1: but I don't know that it was like, oh, they're emancipating. Yeah, no one,
0: yeah, it's very much an internal decision that I am going to emancipate. And as we engage in emancipation, know that you're going to have lots of complicated feelings inside of yourself. Yeah. And other people are going to have really complicated feelings inside of them because a lot of them may feel betrayed. Mm -hmm. They may feel like you're being disloyal. They may feel like you no longer love or respect the family system. Mm -hmm. They may think that there's something wrong with you know that emotionally and relationally yeah. all hell is gonna break loose for a while. But you know, Dr. Ken Adams said something that really, really stuck. And I think he was right. He said allow four seasons to the for the dust to settle. And I'll say that again. Allow four seasons for the dust to settle. Yeah. Allow there to be a full year for people to adjust, including yourself and your partner and the people that you guys are in relationship with, because it's really confusing. It's mm-hmm. it's changing the climate, right? It's two degrees shift is melting the
1: the ice polar caps. The you polar know? ice caps, you got it. Ice polar caps. Why can't <laughs> they be ice polar caps? I don't know. It's it's okay though. There's caps and they got ice and there's a polar thing involved. Y'all know what we talking about. I guess the
0: I think the polar comes from I promise, I promise we are intelligent. <laughs> yeah, but, but they like know what you're saying. right, yeah. like you know, two degrees, two degrees and the, the glaciers are melting. I should have said that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> two degrees and, and and the glaciers are melting, but we don't think of two degrees as something significant. when you think of a climate an entire system, two degrees changes everything. Yeah. Um, and so it takes. Four seasons for people to begin to adjust to the new boundaries, right? It's about them getting to understand how they're going to begin to move. Are we just going to adjust the mesh system and continue to be a mesh with each other, mm-hmm. or is this an opportunity for them to to break free and emancipate themselves?
1: Yeah, and right? see some some healing that healing in a place where everyone thought everything was fine. Yeah, and I remember one of the the um, capstone moments of this for me was I had to go back and repent to my dad Mm. for my enmeshment. I had to go back, not had to, I got the privilege to go and apologize and really repent. Um, Because in my process of enmeshment, I was taking away his humanity. Yeah, He was more than just a human being to me. His word, I was living and dying on every word, and then he would say things that stuck with me for years. Yeah, and he didn't even remember it. Yeah, he was making a joke, yeah. you know. Like, and I'm mm-hmm. making life decisions off of like every every breath that he's taking. Yeah, and like that's not fair to him. It's not, you know. To Absolutely. the and it's like, oh well, I don't really believe mm-hmm. you. Like, even are proud of me, even though you tell me that every two days for the last twenty years. Yeah, because like. You you made a weird face eight years ago, and I I felt like that meant you know it's like in the process of my enmeshment, I got to heal not only just my a lot of my relationship and and shift, but I also got to like recognize this isn't fair today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These these are human beings; they're not God, and yeah. I was making them my God in such a way that they didn't get to just be wrong one day yeah he didn't get to have an off day he couldn't just be a bad person because it was ruining my life i I was hanging on every single word it wasn't fair to him even if it was normal to him it wasn't fair to him so i had to i had to repent to him um and and i think that's part of the hope in all of this you know as we like we could talk about this for an hour Um, yeah but i think part of the hope is that like that healing would manifest in such a way that it's a two-way street. Yeah. uh, That we're not just being healed, but we're healing our opinion of other people, our view Mm. of other people, and allowing them to be human.
0: Yeah, Yeah. because that's enough. Because that's enough. So I wanted to leave you guys with a couple of thoughts as you guys seek to Emancipate and make some decisions that reflect who you are and not necessarily who other people say you should be. One is that emancipation is not a negotiation, it's a declaration. And that is a quote from Dr. Ken Adams Emancipation is not a negotiation. As you begin to separate, because you've been so deeply connected to other people, you're going to want the people that you're emancipating from, you're going to want their blessing to separate from them, Mm -hmm. which is literally defies the point right it defies the point your mother your father your brother your sister they are not going to bless you walking away and yet you still have to do it yeah and yet you still have to make that decision right you have to emancipate to have a life that reflects who you are and gives you freedom yeah Mm. Sorry, I was just thinking. I also think it's really important for us to know that emancipation is a process. It's a really long process. And it's okay if it takes time.
1: Mm -hmm. We're three and a half, four years in and still navigating.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. Still figuring it out.
0: Still figuring it out. But it's a good good thing it does not always feel good but it is good because freedom is good for all of us what a perfect episode for the weekend after juneteenth turn up yes big black fist in the air i love it
1: good job uncle joe keep it coming
0: (laughs) okay first of all uncle joe ain't done nothing until he's gotten sally main navient whatever her name is off my big Okay. Wow. (laughs) Because
1: I am not paying these student loans. Yeah, these student loans are a problem.
0: I have decided.
1: All right. On next week's episode, we're going to talk about student loans and um, who wants to pay them. (laughs)
0: Listen, how to reparent the debt. Yeah.
1: In the name of Jesus. Yes. I receive that.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening. We would love to continue to hear more about how this series is impacting you guys and how reparenting is affecting you guys. Um, We're so excited to share a little more next week. Stay tuned to hear what we're going to talk about. We love you guys.
1: Until the circle comes back around. Bye, guys. Bye.
0: Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked our conversation, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so we can get the word of healing out to as many people as possible. Visit the show notes to stay up to date on our mental health workshops, yearly retreats, Oasis is Bomb, and connect to us on social media. We'll chat with you guys soon until The Circle comes back around.